in the Gospel of John, we've, we've turned a page, so to speak. We've turned the page from Jesus being presented as the Messiah to Jesus preparing his disciples. The die is cast. He is going to be rejected. He is going to be crucified. And now he begins to prepare his own for that which is coming. And as he prepares his own for what is ahead, he gives them an object lesson. Our God loves object lesson. He demonstrates to them this humility in serving that I've called the order of the towel. He, he, and in this order of the towel, now he is going to wash their feet, and that has its own cultural implications. But even as they watch that, and even as they understand it, still they don't fully understand it, because his washing of their feet, his humbling of himself and taking the role of a servant is going to go even deeper than that. But the end of this is, Jesus serves so we can follow. Jesus takes himself the role of the servant so that we can follow. And that means more than you think it means. But if Jesus himself takes the role of a servant so that we can follow, then we follow Jesus serving. That's it. John 13 is not complicated, though there's a lot here, and I don't want to spend more time in intro because I really want to dive into it. There's wonderful, this is a rich passage where Jesus again shows us God's heart. So let's get right into it. Let's begin reading John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to start um, at, at verse 1, and if you're using the church Bible in front of you, you'll find us on page 900. So page 900, John chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. Now before the, peace, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no part with me. You have no fellowship with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. 
It's interesting, the, that segment, that paragraph ends on the same note that it started with. Jesus knows who's going to betray him. In fact, this section, as it moves forward, as Jesus lays aside his robe, as he humbles himself and takes the form of a servant here in this moment at this Passover dinner, as he does these things, he knows certain things. Certain things we are told are in his mind at the moment. What does it take to lay yourself down? What does it take to humble yourself and to serve others? What does it take to lay your ambitions aside and to put others first instead? There are some things that you need to know. That's part of what we see here. What does it take to know in order to give all you've got? These things Jesus knew. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that there was opposition. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. Jesus knew that this was his hour. Jesus knew that the work of redemption of humanity was given to him, the Son, to carry out. And Jesus knew that, yes, he was going. He knew that he had come from the Father. He knew who he was, and he knew where he was going. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew who had his future. And I was, those were the things that in Jesus' mind you could almost ask at that point. If he knows there's opposition, that is no surprise. That doesn't derail the thing. He knows that what he's about to do matters greatly. God has put this into his hands. What he does matters. He knows that God has him. He belongs to God. God has him. His future is in God's hands. And I would submit to you that in light of those, what has he got to lose in laying himself down? What has he got to lose in humbling himself? Compared to what has he got to gain that God is going to accomplish through him? I want to suggest to you that you and I have these same things. We know these same things. We know, first of all, you've experienced it already here and there along the way. You have experienced others' opposition to your faith. And when you have stepped out and when you've sought to serve others for Jesus, somebody has mocked it, somebody has ridiculed, there is opposition. You know that. Okay, no surprise. There is opposition. You also know that what you do matters, that God has put something into your hands. There is a role for each one of us, and, and in that, we have got something that God has given us to do. God has committed unto, unto us, we weak, mortal humans, the word of reconciliation. God has given us the gospel to tell others. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God has given into our hands this ministry of others being reconciled and brought back into right relationship with God in Jesus. He's put that in our hands. What you do matters. We know there will be opposition, but we know what we do matters and we know who has our future. That we have an inheritance that doesn't fade away, that is reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God for salvation, ready to be revealed. We know who has us. And if I know who has me in his hands and nobody can take me out of those hands, what have I got to lose? Those are things I need to know if I'm going to give myself away for the eternal benefit of others. Jesus knows these things. 
We also know, see out of this passage, that we need our feet washed. It's, it's one of those uncomfortable moments in the middle of the dinner. All of a sudden, there's the realization, nobody washed the feet. Now you say, well, we don't normally do that around our house when we try to get the kids to wash their hands, but nobody washes feet. But have you ever, have you ever been one of those you know, gatherings, you had some friends from church over, you're, you're having lunch together, getting the food off the grill, and there's a hustle of this, get the salads out here, and people are serving, and you're taking meat and putting it on plates or putting a burger on somebody's bun, and people are starting fixing their stuff, and they start to eat, and about halfway through the second mouthful, somebody realizes, oh, no, nobody prayed. We're all going to choke on this stuff because nobody prayed, right? That kind of awkward, oh, what do we do now? Well, it's kind of like that, but nobody washed anybody's feet. Normally, when they came into the room, there would be a servant there ready with a basin and a towel. And the servant, we employ somebody for that. None of us would. We, we, got, we got a person that does that. They would wash everybody's feet as they came in. Why is that important? Well, in, the, in that kind of a fellowship meal, there they are reclining at the table, reclining, let's say, on the left elbow. And they're, they're reclining out from the table with their body laying this way. The next person is right here, body laying that way. Next person right there, body laying that way. And reclining on one elbow and taking food from the table and eating it, taking something, dipping it and eating it, maybe giving it to your friend. And yet the feet are down there two people away, right behind the person two people down, right? There are your stinky, smelly feet. Imagine it. Now, you know that our, our tasting senses are impacted by our smelling senses, right? What you taste is impacted by what you smell. And there are your stinky feet, Two people down right behind somebody else's nose. You got it? You see the picture? It's really important to remember to wash feet before everybody comes to the table. Somebody better get up and do this or this meal is going to be ruined. What everybody's going to remember out of this Passover meal is that the feet stunk. Well, Jesus takes that role. Jesus takes the role of a servant. Jesus lays aside his rabbi robe. He's the one that steps up, and he lays himself down. He becomes the servant around the table, washing each one's feet, starting over here, working his way around. And, and Judas is in the mix, even. He finally gets over here to Peter, and Peter says, Oh, no. you, Peter's watched the others just let Jesus do this, but Peter knows better. Peter says, Lord, you would wash my feet? And he says, yeah, Peter, I have to. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any fellowship. You don't have fellowship here at this table. Why not? Well, you see, we, and he goes on to explain to Peter, you're clean. Well, not all of you, not Judas who doesn't believe in me, but the rest of you are clean. What Paul's going to refer to later is the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We have been made clean, washed in the blood of the Lamb, the great hymn says, right? And so, even though we're washed, we still get our feet dirty. Even the priests serving at the tabernacle in the midst of the messy work of redemption and sacrifices, they would get their hands dirty, they would get their feet dirty, and there was a big basin there, a laver that they would use to wash in, to keep themselves clean in the midst of their service to the Lord, that they wouldn't be unclean and unfit for service. It's, it's kind of like this way. Have you, ever, have you ever had one of those days, it's a hot day, kind of like today, Oh, boy. 
And you notice somewhere along the way, I think I forgot my deodorant this morning. Have you ever had one of those mornings? Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope it's not today, but yes. Or, or, or maybe you've had one of those times where you run your tongue over your teeth and you get that velvety feel. And you realize, I didn't brush my teeth this morning. I may not have brushed my teeth last night. And you know what that, that's going to be evident to the people that I'm talking to. And so what do you do? You withdraw from other people. You don't want them to know your shame. You don't want them to know what is, you don't want what you know is true of you, that you have bad breath, that you have body odor. You don't want that to be exposed to the others and have the shame of it. So what do you do? You withdraw. That's like sin and our need for cleansing. Our need for daily, ongoing, washing our feet. We are clean, and yet in the midst of this world, we do get our feet dirty, and we continue to need to be cleansed, even though Jesus has made us clean. We still need our feet washed. That's what Jesus is telling Peter here. That's part of the lesson here. We still need our feet washed, and God's Word says that if we, are, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to keep on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Jesus still washes our feet. That's one of the things that continues out of this story. Also, something we learned from Peter and his, and his exuberance, that Peter's almost trying too hard. Peter's trying to one-up the others, maybe. Peter's, Peter's smarter than Jesus here, and, and Jesus has to dial him back on both sides. First, he doesn't want to be washed at all. Then he wants to be washed, and, and Jesus is like, Peter, would you just slow down? You're going to ruin the whole picture here. Sometimes we need to follow our Lord, even if I don't understand. I don't understand why this. I don't understand what difference it's going to make. I don't understand why the Lord is leading this way instead of that way. And yet still, my faith in him will cause me to yield and trust him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I love it when Peter echoes the, that famous oxymoron, no, Lord, Right? If he's Lord, how do we tell him no? How do we tell him, Lord, it needs to be my way, not your way? And yet sometimes we don't understand what God thinks he's doing here. Now God is doing. Join in, follow, trust. Sometimes I think God stretches our faith intentionally that we don't understand and will understand along the way. We'll understand in the yielding. In John chapter 8, he says, if you, abide, if you abide in my words, you will be my followers. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, we want to know first. We want to get it all figured out. We want all the pieces to line up here, and we get it, and we see it before we start in. He says, no, 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 start in, and you'll see it. When did the Jordan waters part? Not till the feet went into the water. That's when the waters part. If you abide in my truth, you will be my followers, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to trust him. 
even before we fully understand it, we need to trust him. Adults learn that way. We learn not by being told and explained it all and laid all out for us, and then we can start doing it. We learn in the doing. Actually, I think everybody learns this way, not just adults, but they focus us on adult learning, so we'll start there. We learn in the midst of doing. Have you ever been at work in one of those seminars? Maybe a training seminar, maybe it was a couple hours, maybe it was a webinar. Oh, boy, the neat stuff you can learn on a webinar is wonderful because you can eat your lunch at the same time. You can do something else and pretend you're listening to the webinar. Or maybe it was an actual seminar. You went away to this thing. Maybe it was a week. And at the end of the week, they gave you a binder full of all the stuff that you learned, right? And you go back to work. And a couple weeks later, if you have not done if you have not begun to implement and apply and put into practice those things that you learned in the seminar, within two weeks you will have forgotten half of what you learned. That's the shelf life of training that isn't put into practice right away. But the binder remains. You've still got the binder. And there that binder sits on your shelf, an enduring monument to temporary knowing. The Scripture does not say... You know these things, you are blessed. It says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We need to step into a church like ours. We've, we, we do the Bible study thing pretty well. You can go to all kinds of groups. And, and, and if I'm there, there's going to be a Bible study. You know, I just can't wait. Let's, let's learn something here. I love to teach God's Word. And yet, we are not sanctified merely by the teaching of God's Word, by the hearing of God's Word that we respond to and step into. That's how God transforms our life. We've got to have God's truth, but we don't really even get it except as we step into it. So what Jesus is doing here is something that we're going to have to follow. He serves so that we can follow. And we need to follow Jesus. We need to follow Jesus in serving. Look at verse 12 and continuing. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments again, he resumed his place and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? Not really. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We need to follow Jesus serving. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So he is going to send us. He who has presented himself to the nation, now he's going to send them. And people who receive him from them are receiving, are brought into right relationship with God the Father. 
The ministry of presenting Jesus is going to continue, but that which God put into the Son's hands, he is now putting into the disciples' hands. They have passed it down from generation to generation into our hands. And it's ours to carry now. We must wash one another's feet in serving one another in that same humility as Jesus did here. He did these things so that we can do these things. He takes the role of a servant to show us to take the role of a servant. Verse 20 says, whoever receives the one I send, it's in serving that we live out Jesus' sending of us to others so that they can receive. Others will get this from us the way they got it from Jesus. And that was through him humbling himself, laying himself down, taking the lower seat, stepping down and washing their feet, humbly serving, not concerned about his own position before them, but meeting their need to teach us that we ought not to be so concerned with ourselves, but we should consider one another. We should consider others more important than ourselves. We should seek to outdo one another in showing honor. This means at church, for instance. It may happen at church. It may happen at work. It may happen in family with mom and dad, brothers and sisters, husbands and wife. At work. What if you were known to be the hardest working person? What if you were known to be the most reliable, the most honest, the one others could count on? You would be honest even when it was to say, no, I can't stay late tonight. I need to go home and be with my family. What if you were that person that works hard for others to help them succeed, not seeking to climb the ladder merely for yourself, taking advantage of others along the way? If you're that one who's there to advance others and to see them succeed, you might be taken advantage of. If you're not climbing over them, they'll be climbing over you. Yes, they will, but that's okay. Why? What do you know? I know who has me. I know who has my future. And because I know who has my future, I can lay myself down. God has my back. And I know what he said into my hands, what I do matters. So I'm going to serve him. It may be a church. What if, what if, just imagine a parallel universe where you never heard an announcement saying we need help in the nursery or the pre-K or Awana or Sunday school or in the church office and administration or finance, or around the building or, or, or with the landscaping or fixing this or that or doing some plumbing. What if we never ever had an announcement or a plea for help in serving in this area and that? Why? Because people were lined up. People were asking, how could I serve here? How could I serve there? What do you need doing? How could I help? What if people were asking through leaders in various ministries, Lord, what would you have me to do? What if people came to the current deacons, deaconesses, elders, and said, how could I take a next step to be more ready to one day serve in this role you're serving God's church in? Say, well, why would I want to do that? I mean, 
deacons, deaconesses, elders. There's meetings and stuff you go to for that, right? Yeah, there are meetings. Why would anybody do that? Because God loves his church. And God loves his church, so we love what God loves. We love who God loves. And so if that even means attending some meetings, as however meetings can be, we'll do that too because out of that we'll work together in advancing this local ministry that God calls church and he loves. That's why it matters. I don't even fully understand it. I don't, even, I don't know why we have all these meetings. And yet, I'll do this because God's in this. And God said something of this on my heart. I imagine that parallel universe. If people were lined up, if people were asking, how could I do to be ready to take the next step? It's not like that because we assume somebody else would do it instead. We assume surely those other people doing that. Or we, or we assume this. We assume I couldn't do that. And you're right. You can't do that. Merely on yourself, we don't want you to do that. Thank you. But you are not on your own. You are not by yourself. And if God himself would equip you, if God himself would now take his spirit into your life, and if he would work in you and through we, who are we to get in the way of what God is doing? Come on, let's go. You say, well, nobody has ever asked me. Why would you wait to be asked? Seriously. If, why would you wait to be asked to do what the Lord himself has clearly called you to? He has clearly called you to follow him in serving others. I don't know where. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but that much I know real clear. The Lord has called every one of his own. So if you're not Judas, if you're one of the other 12, the other 11, math, if you're one of the other 11, then, then you are clearly called to love one another as I have loved you, he said. The way, how you have seen me served, I've done this so that you will in this way serve one another. And it doesn't mean we morph this into another ordinance in the church. We're all going to get together and wash feet. Washing feet could be a good thing in, in what it reminds us to do as an object lesson. But the thing is, how will you, where will you give yourself away in serving others for the glory of God. I will serve others to follow Jesus because that's what he's clearly set before me to do. That's clear. So I don't know why we would think to wait around for somebody to ask us to do what Jesus himself has asked us to do. I don't know about your hierarchy, but in my hierarchy, Bob doesn't trump Jesus, okay? So if Jesus asked you to, you don't need to wait for Bob to ask you to. Make sense? Great, we're on the same page. Now, this, this setting here in the, in the next set of verses, 21 to 30, Judas's betrayal is in the starkest of contrast in Jesus' serving. Jesus serves, Judas betrays. Jesus has just washed Judas' feet. He's honored him with bread. Being given and receiving hospitality is the, is the greatest of bonds in the Middle Eastern world. Jesus has loved them to the end, to the fullest extent, even Judas. This makes 
his betrayal of Jesus all the more unthinkable. Jesus, Jesus knows and yet does not prevent. The, the evil in this hour is Satan's doing. It is not God's. Satan has entered into Judas. That's clear. This evil in this hour, this is Satan's doing, and yet God uses it for our eternal God, our eternal good. God uses Satan's absolute worst to bring out his greatest saving work. Don't worry about the opposition. Don't worry about who's against you. Don't worry about the trouble that you're going to run into. In so doing so, you just give yourself away because God has put this into your hands and he has your future. Jesus humbles himself to serve others while Judas betrays in order to serve himself. Judas is going to cut and run. Judas is going to cash in. Judas is going to take his 30 pieces of silver now rather than trusting God for the future. Each of us in ways, little or large, are going to follow Jesus in losing in order to serve others or in seeking to gain by serving ourselves. We're going to follow in one of two ways. Those are the choices. And as fallen human beings, the default, if we just leave it to see what happens, if we just coast along, our default as fallen human beings is going to be to serve ourselves. Our tendency to serve ourselves will drown out the Spirit's invitation for us to give ourselves away in serving Christ. We're going to have to intentionally step into this. We're going to have to intentionally take a next step or our own selfishness will ruin it. Marketing appeals to that self-centeredness, doesn't it? Let me try a couple on you. You deserve a break today, right? It's almost lunchtime. You deserve a break today. How about come and give yourself away? Marketing says, have it your way. God's word says, yield to his way. Ladies, L'Oreal says, because you're worth it. Right? How about because he's worth it? See, the voices in our culture tap into something they know is very powerful, our own sense of serving ourselves. And Jesus knows he's running counter to that. And if it was just between him and us alone, there wouldn't be any chance. This culturally shocking betrayal, in the midst of that, God is glorified. Look at verse 31. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. This is the upside-downness or the right-side-upness of, of, of the, the example of Christ in the midst of the world. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now that the betrayal has started, now that the arrest is coming, now that crucifixion is just around the corner, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him himself and glorify him at once. We are locked in. We are ready to go. In this betrayal, God is glorified in Jesus' gracious humility even to Judas. Judas, what you have to do, go and do it quickly. He's so gracious to him, even in that final hour. In this sacrificial humility, God is glorified. And therefore, because the Son has glorified the Father, showing God's own sacrificial humility toward us, God is going to glorify the Son. 
Do you see it all the way back in Isaiah 53? I'll put it up here on the screen, save a little bit of time. Isaiah 53, this is verses 11 and, and 12. If you can't see it over on this side of the room, that's what you miss on that side of the room. I'm sorry. There's some good things about that side of the room. This is not one of them. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By knowledge of him shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He will divide the spoil with the strong. Victory terms here. Because he poured out his soul to death, because he was numbered with the transgressors, one on either side, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressions. God will exalt him because he has poured himself out. Let's look at it in Philippians 2 language. Same idea. He, Jesus, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He who humbled himself, he who stooped to serve even to his death, God has raised up. What makes you think he'll do any less with we who are in Christ? Oh, there will be opposition. There will be a cost. We will give ourselves a way of serving some people around the world. This place or that will do it unto death. And yet God has their back. He holds their future. No one is able to snatch them out of his hand. And so in the closing section, I said in starting, I said that Jesus serves so we can follow. And I hope you're somewhat challenged already. I hope you're feeling somewhat, I need to, but I still don't know if I can. And I want to pause finally in verses 36 to 38. These verses show that Peter still doesn't quite get it. But Jesus gets him. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? He says he's going away, and you can't come. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Turns out Peter is going to betray Jesus. He's not going to sell him out, but he's going to deny him just the same. But Peter himself declares he can do. We find out that Peter cannot do. Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. What's going to change? What's going to change? Two, pe two people deny Jesus that night. But there's a, a distinct difference between the two. One of them, Satan enters to his destruction. The other one, because of his faith in Jesus, Jesus dies for his sin. And having died for his sin, the Holy Spirit, God is now near. God comes close. There is no sin to separate Peter from God anymore, such that God's own spirit comes and dwells within Peter. What was it that you saw in Peter the fisherman that ever made you think he would be the Peter of Pentecost and beyond? 
In fact, what is it that you see in the life of Saul of Tarsus that would give you any idea that he would be the one who would give himself away for church after church, a man named Paul the Apostle? Look at the change that God is able to do by his life in us by the power of the Spirit. You can't follow me now, Peter told his 11, but you will follow me later. Why? He's going to unfold it in the coming chapters, 14, 15, 16, that we will follow him, not by our own strength, not by our own will, not by our own rolling up our sleeves and trying harder. We will follow him because his Spirit dwells in us. He will strengthen us to do in us what we're not able to do for ourselves. Once we were in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Once we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of of disobedience, but now we are indwelt and filled by God's Holy Spirit who bears the fruit of Christ-likeness in our lives. And if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us love one another as Jesus loved his own. Pick up the order of the towel. There is no higher calling than serving in Jesus' name. Jesus served us, giving his life for us so that we can, by his power, his life in us, we can follow giving our lives away for others. That is the order of the towel. And if there were no limits, if God is indeed able to do even in you beyond what you could ask or even imagine. If that were true, then I want you to pause just for a moment and think. Where would you like God to use you? Maybe it's beyond you. But where would you like God to use you? What next step would you like God to? Or what next step might God be leading you to take? Maybe toward that dream. What next step would you do in stepping into this, giving myself away for the sake of others, taking a next step in that I will understand, knowing these, being blessed in the doing of it? Because serving Jesus is where you will be blessed in more fully knowing him, and thus more fully knowing God, which is what our trek through the Gospel of John is all about. As you think about that, there are no limits. What would God be pleased to do? What is God able to do, even in a life like mine? As you think about that, as we now pray, you've got a communication card in front of you. We're going to have a chance to receive those as prayer requests in the offering in just a few moments, and I would encourage you. Often we give, we do give back to the Lord out of what he's given us. We call that an offering, an offering of grace to God for what he's given us and provided for us. And yet we give ourselves and trusting God in the prayers that we would lift before him. Maybe in trusting God, Lord, what is the next step? Or God has placed on my heart, this is my next step. Would you pray for me? Lord, what would you have me to do? If God has given you some suggestion or if you want to say, I want to get together with somebody, I want to start praying with somebody about what would God have me to do. I, want to, I don't want to charge out like Peter in my own flesh. I want to know, Lord, what would you have me to do? Maybe that's your prayer this morning. But I invite you on that communication card, share that. 
that we can be praying with you. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you in fact be pleased to use us just as you say? Father, we trust you at your word that we can serve you, not because of ourselves, not because of our strength, but because of Jesus, our Savior, because your spirit then lives within us, because we have the life of Christ that enlivens us. And Father, we want to yield our own will, but we realize our will can be a stubborn thing, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you would, in some way, by your Spirit, Father, would you overwhelm our will. Would you help us that we don't want an enduring monument to temporary learning, Father. We want to know in the doing. We want to take a next step into how we would serve you in serving others. So, Lord, we pray that you would be making that clear within our church family right now. We pray that you would make this all the more a giving of ourselves, serving family of believers, following Jesus. And, Lord, would you be honored and glorified in that, in the lives of those that we would dare to give ourselves away for. Lord, bless that which we offer. Bless that which we now give out of what you provided, Lord, and even our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.